Welcome to the Talent Talks podcast from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I'm Alan Caesar. My guest today is Nishiganda Kilka. She is an integrated product lead at Collins Aerospace, where she's part of a team integrating the first ever touchscreen cockpit displays on commercial Boeing aircraft. She is also the founder of Project Launchpad, an organization that focuses on student mental health awareness, as well as democratizing knowledge for pursuing higher education. She graduated summa cum laude from the Daytona Beach campus in 2017 with a bachelor's in aerospace engineering, and in 2021 with a master's in management from Embry-Riddle Worldwide. Nishi, thank you so much for joining us today and participating in our rocket launch-themed program. My pleasure, Alan. Thank you for having me. All right. So we're going to start with the pre-launch. We're at T minus four questions. Are you buckled in? I am. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, What was your favorite place to spend leisure time when you were a student? All right. So I think as an aerospace engineering student, uh, leisure is um, studying. (laughs) Yeah, well, Uh, you got a 4.0, so I imagine you spent a lot of time doing that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, as uh, I I think it's definitely going to sound like a nerd, but uh, the library was my f- favorite place to hang out. Uh, so was Lehman, co- that's the College of Engineering lab and the College of Business lab. Uh, and we almost had a ritual, um, like we'd start at the library and then once it would close at 12 a.m., we'd go to the College of Engineering lab that would close at 1 a.m. and then go to the College of Business, which was open all night. So, <laughs> um, yeah, those are my favorite spots, I think. That's great. That's a really cool routine. So is there a particular song that takes you back to when uh, your Embry-Riddle days, whenever you hear it? Yeah, I think um, Don't Panic by Coldplay. Um, you know, that, that song um, talks about how you, you can, you've got to stay resilient through times and uh, kind of still maintain that positivity, even though things may not be going your way. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it was something that gave me a lot of strength during those times. That's great. Now, you, uh, you've already mentioned these late nights. What was your sort of uh, go-to late night meal or snack? Yeah, Einstein's, I think, um, because um, we'd, I think all the other spots would close a little earlier, maybe around 9 p.m. or so. Um, So we'd be left with vending machines and then Einstein's was open until 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. So we'd, um, yeah, we'd try to make sure that we reach there in time to grab a snack before it closes. You know, we're just left with Pop-Tarts and energy drinks from vending machines after that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What class or professor had the sort of the longest lasting impact on you? Yeah, a lot of amazing courses and professors at Riddle. Um, I think one that stood out was Dr. Leishman uh, while I was pursuing aerodynamics, that's AE301. And uh, he was very passionate about, um, you know, just I think the way he taught and the way he um, really introduced us to these new concepts, right? Like the like for for instance, the the concept of air flowing over a wing really got him excited. Um, and that's every riddle for you, right? Because it's people who are extremely passionate about aviation and aerospace and here just to do that. Uh, so I think his course uh, really 
uh, stuck with me for the longest times. Also, probably because it uh, it was uh, building upon a foundation in physics, something that I uh, you know truly loved. Uh, and also, I think just the fact that uh, looking at his passion for the subject really got me hooked onto it as well. Well, now we're going to move on to our uh, ignition and our launch burn. All right. <laughs> So at, at Collins, you're integrating these touchscreen cockpit displays into the Boeing uh, 777X and 787. And I know a bit about glass cockpits and you know where all the traditional instruments are just shown on electronic display screens. But what you're doing is moving some of the actual physical controls to a touchscreen. Is that uh, is that what's going on? Yeah, so we've had uh, glass cockpits for a while now. Like We had them on the 787 as well. Um, and what we are trying to do here for the first time is bring that touch capability to the glass cockpit. Um, and this is really because we've, you know, we have pilots using iPads to do flight planning. Uh, we, you know, we've we've seen touchscreen in that aspect, and then they're bringing that to the cockpit. Um, so I think it's only intuitive then to have your uh, your actual display be touchscreen as well. Um, but I really like the fact that we're we're making the transition slowly but surely, uh, because we do have rotary knobs as well that you can um, use to. Uh, move through the pages to click on apps. Um, and then there's, of course, the touchscreen feature to help them get acclimated with this new technology on the cockpit. So what kind of controls are being, you know, what are you able to do by touching the screen? Yeah, so you're able to move through the different pages. Um, so if, for instance, you have the maintenance page, uh, if I click on Maint, then I can see the health status of the various controls. Um, I can, if I click on the system synoptics page, I can see um, an entire sheet of uh, flight controls. So how much are my flaps deployed? Um, you know, what's my trim like? All that information. Um, if I look at the PFT and the MFT, that's the primary flight display. Um, we have touchscreen options there as well. Again, going through different pages like the engine indication system um, that shows you uh, at what, uh, that, that shows you the crew alerting messages. Um, it shows you at what altitude you are. So um, the cabin pressurization. Um, and then if you go down and, and then again, do some touchscreen for different pages, then you can see the system synoptics, which will give you an in-depth information about um, what your pressurization is like. Um, FMS, another big thing, the flight management system, you can just touch and then you can enter uh, what your weight of the aircraft is going to be um, and then really understand how much fuel is required. Um, so it, I think at the core of it, it's, it's trying to make it more intuitive so that if uh, you want to go to a particular page, you just go and click there instead of having to maybe like use a dial to move onto that page. Um, so yeah, a lot of touching around to see the different pages, I think is at the bottom of it. So these are informational screens is what it sounds like. You're not actually integrating like flight controls. Nobody's adjusting throttle on, on a touch screen, Correct. right? Yes, this is just informational. Um, and I think it's one step at a time is, is kind of like the approach we're taking. 
So is there, uh, do the screens give, uh, you know, sometimes on your phone, you, you know, when you're typing, it'll vibrate a little bit and you get that like tactile feedback. Mm-hmm. Are you guys integrating that or does that not make sense when you're reaching out and touching a screen in front of you? Yeah. So there are two kinds of displays. One is the resistive and the other is the capacitive. Um, so the resistive one is where uh, it, it really captures onto that touch after you apply pressure. Um, so it's a different technology. And that is helpful because, you know, in flight, you're going to be experiencing turbulence. Um, So you don't want it to be sensitive to touch. Uh, So it's only after I really press it for a longer duration, like a little longer, uh, you know, relatively, that's when it's going to catch on to that touch feature. Okay, so avoid, you know, accidentally pressing on it when you don't mean to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned the the rotary knob. Is that sort of like a redundant backup? Because I know, like, actually, my phone right now, like, is having issues with its touch screen, and I can't like. There's a dead spot, yeah. and so is that is that what the rotary knob is for in case something happens? Uh, and and also, I think to help pilots transition onto the touchscreen technology. Um, I think rotary knobs is something we've been using for the longest time. I see it in the Cessna 172i fly as well. Um, so it's it's always good to have that familiarity as well as, you know, some new technology when whenever you're trying to roll that out. So are you a pilot as well? I have been flying. Uh, and uh, thanks to Riddle, that's when <laughs> my passion for aviation truly started. Um, I remember one of uh, my uh, friends who was who was with me in these organizations, uh, he was uh, preparing to be an airline pilot. And he took me on one of these flights. And yeah, that I loved it. I, uh, you know, there was no looking back since then. So I have been uh, flying for a few hours on the right seat mostly, but I definitely plan to get my licenses soon. That's great. That's great. Uh, sorry for the the diversion there. But also you mentioned Cessnas and like, so our, our training planes now, all, all our Cessnas have, you know, state-of-the-art glass cockpits. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's practical for this touchscreen technology to sort of trickle down to, you know, from, from large commercial aircraft to these uh, training planes like these? Uh, so I definitely see a lot of safety added through, uh, you know, the inclusion of this technology. Like, let's talk about synthetic vision. Um, let's talk about weather terrain overlays. Um, let's talk about just crew alerting messages that pop up and, um, you know, inform the pilot of anything that may be going wrong. Let's talk about TCAS, right? Uh, telling you about the relative velocity of an oncoming aircraft. And I think having all these technologies in the cockpit is eventually enhancing the safety of the pilot. Um, so I think when I look at it from that perspective, it absolutely, I think, adds on to the experience of flying. So as as integration lead, you're regularly uh, working with Boeing on how these systems meet their requirements. Yeah. What's been sort of like the, what's been the hardest part of, uh, of this so far, most challenging requirement that you've had to meet? Yeah. Um, so I think with doing anything new, um, like, you know, bringing touchscreen first time on Boeing commercial aircraft, um, there are definitely regulatory concerns that you would like to meet. And that's something we've been working hand in hand with Boeing towards. Um, and I think 
from a technical standpoint, it's also the technology, you know, the the, the fact that we're first time um, bringing this uh, capability to touch through different pages. So there's a lot of verification efforts involved as well to make sure that that technical capability has gone through in every scenario. Um, so we offer the moving maps capability. Um, so just to give an example, we put the aircraft at different locations, um, taking off from different airports and make sure that the um, airport map is adequately responding um, to those situations. So there's a lot of verification involved as well. And I think all of that was is done with the ultimate goal of making sure that we meet the regulatory concerns and we make sure that the technology is seamless, even though it's the first time we're doing it. So now, if I understand correctly, you went to high school in uh, Muscat in the country of yeah. Oman, which for our listeners who might not know, uh, it's on the southeast cor- coast of the uh, Arabian Peninsula next to the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And so did I, did I get all that you right? You did. I right? didn't have impressed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I looked it up in advance, I'll be honest. Um, so at at, um, at your high school, you were given a Best Debater Award uh, by the Ambassador of India to Oman. So tell, tell me, this sounds fantastic. Is it like a giant novel, novelty thing? <laughs> like a, I'm picturing like somebody getting one of those novelty checks or something. Like that's how exciting it seems right. to me. But it's probably a very different experience you. Know, for you know, not very far from that. It's a huge trophy. Um, yeah. And uh, it was very heavy. I think we had like three people who had to stand uh, together oh to carry gosh. it. Uh, but uh, it was a very fun experience. And uh, I think I vividly remember the topic of that debate competition as well. It was talking about peace or prosperity. Uh, which one would you choose if you were given a chance? Um, so fun times. <laughs> That's that's really interesting. Um, I don't normally think of those as at odds with each other, peace and prosperity. Do you, do you think they generally are? Is that I, I'm I'm a little bit curious about that topic now. Right. Um, yeah, I think it goes back to the fact that uh, you know you can amass huge wealth, you can become a millionaire, or billionaire, but if you're not having peace of mind, then you know, is it worth it? Uh, on the other hand, if you have a peace of mind and if you are, um, you know, living your life the way you want to, for instance, but you don't have enough wealth to support it, then is that good enough? Or you're going to still want to um, be prosperous to lead a better life. So I think it's along those lines. It's, I think at the bottom of it, kind of talking about on one end of the spectrum, being wealthy versus on the other end of the spectrum, you know, doing with what you have and um, comparing those two perspectives. So I'm curious about the the culture in some of the countries in that region. I don't know about Oman specifically, but uh, uh, some of them tend to be less supportive of women working in engineering fields and in technical fields. Now, you had a lot of academic success in high school, but it sounds like, you know, you're involved in the Model UN and, um, you know, uh, in more of these sort of uh, political roles like student council president. Um what did people say when you wanted to said you wanted to be an aerospace engineer? Yeah, and I really owe the credit to my parents. Um, so they have been relentlessly supportive all throughout. And I think 
the personality that I've developed today is all because of them. Uh, so I, I remember back when I was in high school, I was doing really great in academics, like you mentioned, you know, math and physics were my passion. And I, uh, I was very clear that I wanted to pursue aerospace and my parents didn't blink an eye. Uh, in fact, my dad stayed up with me uh, working through, uh, ad, you know, admissions and the, the admission process. Um, he supported me in every way he could. Um, and I think it really goes back to them. It, that's not to say that there wasn't pushback. Um, there were definitely people, you know, who reached out to him, like one specific person told him that, hey, are you sure you want to invest so much? Um, you know, she's probably going to marry off and, um not, uh, you know, contribute to your wealth later on. So are you really sure you want to do that? And that's when I saw my father <laughs> get up and walk out. And, and he said, uh, you know, you're, you're going to watch her become, uh, become a famous aerospace engineer one day. So uh, keep that in mind. So I, I, I really have to thank them for it. They were very determined to give me every opportunity that I asked for. And uh, it's because of that, um, that you know, whether it's a debating competitions, for instance, where I gain the opportunity to develop an opinion and to really get in front of people and speak to develop the confidence to be able to do that. Um, so I think if you provide the right opportunities early on, it, it really helps develop a personality. And definitely with their support all throughout, um, I was able to come here. So Muscat is like a 20 hour flight from here. Mm -hmm. um, why did you choose to go, you know, past half the world <laughs> and come to Embry Riddle? And did you bring that giant trophy? <laughs> I, I wish I would have, but I think my high school wanted to keep it with them. So if you if you ever do visit them, uh, you'll you'll see it stored in one of the um, uh, show uh, as one of the showpieces there. Um, yeah, I. I think aviation and aerospace is a field um, that is best realized in America. Um, that is, that's definitely a realization that I had while growing up. Um, like, look at Oshkosh, right? Look at, um, look at the latest developments. Look at the best companies. Uh, look at the kind of advancements that uh, Boeing is doing. That um, Collins, um, that. Honeywell, that Garmin uh, are doing. Um, so it's it's really the country to come to if you want to experience um, working in the aviation aerospace industry. Now, so uh, me personally, I was born in Brazil and I moved to the US when I was not yet a teenager. Mm -hmm. And so there was some adjustment for me, but a lot of this is sort of societal norms. I feel like are really set when you're like in middle school and high school. Mm. And so the culture shock for you coming to college, mm -hmm. I, you know, at that age, I barely even knew who I was. <laughs> and, you know, maybe you had a stronger sense of self than I did, but I imagine that was really tough for you. How was that transition? It was rough. Yeah, it was definitely rough. And um, I think small things like, I think just adjusting to the climate, for instance, um, adjusting to the fact, you know, for me that, I was now staying so far away from my family um, that even if I wanted to go and meet them, they were like halfway around the globe, uh, 20 hours away. Um, so that was huge. And then I think the third part to, to it was also 
the dietary restrictions that I had. Um, so I'm a vegetarian and uh, there were days I would just eat bread with lettuce and ketchup and uh, tomatoes and that was that was it you know coming from having warm home-cooked meals from my mother <laughs> to in a month now having to maybe I don't know survive on granola bars or something uh, so yeah I think that was a that was a big switch as well um, so yeah it was it was definitely tough and I think that took coming at a very young age for me it was 17 years um, young when I decided to move here. And I, I actually recollect um, the, the very time when it kind of struck me that this was happening. Uh, so my parents had, uh, they were gracious enough to come all the way to drop me off to college. And um, I bid them farewell, uh, you know, like this was right next to that Einstein's corner uh, in the student village. And uh, I bid them farewell and I, I saw their car go away. And then I just stood there like, you know, I, I froze and it, it struck me that, oh, my God, now it's I am by myself and, you know, through the next four years or so. Um, so, yeah, it is it is quite a big change. Yeah. So that was that experience sort of adjusting. Is that is that what led you to create Project Launchpad? Absolutely. Yes. That was definitely one of the driving factors. Uh, because from a firsthand experience, um, you know, I, I I felt that it's great to be uh, celebrating successes. Um, like, for instance, for me, it was the fact that I was doing really well academically here. I was, you know, the president of so many student organizations, co-founded too. But at the bottom of it, there were some definite um think moments of self-doubt that I had. Uh, there were definite periods where I felt low because, uh, you know, you don't always perform the best in courses. You don't always um, get the uh, internships or the opportunities that you're wanting. Um, so I think I really wanted us to have conversation about how we navigate through those low times. Uh, because as much as it is important for us to celebrate the successes, I think it's also very much needed for us to uh, talk about how we can make it through the times when things are not working out as you expected them to. Yeah. So tell me a bit about what Project Launchpad does then uh, in order to help people. Absolutely. Um, so there are three core areas that have been picked up. The first one is student mental health awareness. And this one is talking about exactly what we covered so far. For instance, if you're moving away from family um, and, and the move can be um, however far away, it could be 8,000 miles, it could be 50 miles, uh, but just the fact that you're moving away, how do you adjust to this new atmosphere? How do you um, kind of navigate your way um, through this time? Talking about um, dealing with relationships, talking about developing emotional intelligence. Um, so we, we provide content in that space. And the second is financial mentoring. Um, so as we know, college debt is a huge concern. And um, it's unfortunately that one thing that can stop you from pursuing your dreams, even when you're really sure about what you want to do. Um, so we want to be... Uh, providing authentic, backed by research information about what you can do to get financially healthy, how you can afford college, how you can um, 
invest and save enough for the next phase of your life. And the third pillar is career counseling. And again, we're taking a unique approach at this one uh, because it's no longer just about how do I write a statement of purpose or how do I get my letter of recommendation? It is about answering the deeper questions about how do I find purpose in life? Or like a question that I faced was, I am extremely passionate about aviation aerospace, uh, but understandably there are certain um, citizenship requirements for certain positions, certain companies. So how do I navigate through that? You know, I don't want to leave on to my uh, passion, but at the same time, I, I, I still want to pursue, um, uh, you know, this further. So I think that aspect of career counseling, which is really getting down to the deeper topics and helping students navigate through that. So how are these... Um how are the how is this content so you say you provide content how how is this provided are these webinars is this like a repository mm -hmm. yeah uh, so a part of them is in a format that's very easily accessible by the student and that's instagram because i know we're scrolling through instagram uh, most of our day and we're actively present there um, so it's in the form of reels currently because I think that's what's trending. That's what is the best way to get the message out. We also have posts uh, where we talk about the do's and the don'ts, where we uh, kind of uh, break down the complex information into bite-sized pieces that um, students can just save and uh, revisit at a later time. Then we have Instagram live sessions, which have turned out to be great because we take on live questions from students. We have renowned psychologists uh, come in like just uh, tomorrow we are going to have someone from London uh, join us and talk about how we can take care of our mental health during the pandemic. Um, so we're using that platform to drive really meaningful conversations. Um, again, around topics that are directly impacting students. And then we're hoping to soon launch our courses um, in, again, these three areas. Um, so topics like how do you develop emotional intelligence? Um, you know, stuff that's not necessarily taught to us to the traditional education system, but something that if we know will then help us, um, you know, study better, be better at work, be a better, um, fiance or be a better daughter and so on yeah so i imagine so that if a lot the content that is currently up is on instagram live then people can access a lot of this for free already then absolutely yeah that's that's something we're going to stick with for the longest time is to provide a majority of our content for free and then to provide some paid content through um, the launch of our website later on Okay. Now, uh, I guess being on Instagram, it's, it's global and it's virtual. And uh, you said you bring in uh, experts, so you're not teaching these yourself. Right. Yeah. I would love to talk to uh, students about aviation, aerospace, any topics, uh, you know, along those lines. Uh, but I think when it comes to mental health awareness, we have psychologists come in. Uh, when we talk about financial mentoring, we have like a senior partner from this finance firm um, come in. And then when we're talking about career counseling, um, again, we're referring to people who are experts in their field, um, like maybe the country head for marketing come in and, and talk about pursuing that stream kind of job opportunities there and so on. So we do tap into experts to seek that advice. 
Now, uh, some some people don't feel necessarily comfortable either talking with others about their feelings or admitting that they're having them. I know like I struggle with that sometimes and I'll realize earlier this week, like I had, I had a morning, uh, where I like sort of had a realization that I've been suppressing a lot of my feelings about a particular thing, about not, I haven't seen my friends. Some of my friends have moved away and I haven't seen them in quite a while. And that, that kind of, you know, I had a rough mm. morning because I it was, you know, something that I sort of remembered that and realized that I'd been suppressing. Mm-hmm. But what, you know, what would you say to someone who maybe feels like they can't handle these issues alone, but is hesitant to participate in something or to admit that they need help? How do you encourage somebody to come and, you know, seek out help like yeah, this? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you for asking that. Um, so we're also hoping to provide uh, one-on-one counseling sessions and to make it completely safe and secure. And I I think that goes back to the point that um, really providing help on a one-on-one basis um, might help and also ensuring that there is privacy maintained, um, that it's really at the end of the day catered to just helping that person and nothing other than that. Um, So I think that offering is something that I'm hoping resonates and um, and I'm I'm not uh, honestly equipped with the knowledge to uh, to kind of uh, talk about this. But if if for instance, if it were a friend of mine, and if I were just to uh, speak to him or her, then that is something I would say is um, you know I I can provide you a list of people whom you could reach out to on a one-on-one basis and see if that helps um, as a starting point. All right. Well, so now we're uh, solidly in orbit. So I've got uh, two more questions (laughs) for you and then then we'll take a break before this splashdown. So uh, (laughs) we've hit the heavy stuff. We've hit the heavy stuff. Um, What skills do you think are critical to succeeding in your line of work? Sure. So are we talking about engineering here or? Yeah, yeah, at Collins there. Yeah. I think resilience is important uh, because especially when you're in a technical role, you're going to be out in the lab um, trying a a lot of different things which don't always work. And, you know, Murphy's Law... Yeah, uh, that's uh, if anything can go wrong, it will Correct. go wrong. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so yeah, I think you, you've got to stay resilient through it, and um, and I think in a lot of ways, Riddle helped me with that as well. Just you know, taking such an intensive course like aerospace engineering um, helps you develop that resilience. Um, so yeah, uh, when when you do take up technical fields, like if you're a software, um, if, you're, if you're a person who writes software, you know this very well that uh, when you compile your code, it's it's not going to just start running in the first try. You're going to go have to go back and edit syntax somewhere, uh, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, redo a certain structure somewhere else. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think when you see it all come together, um, that's definitely a moment of accomplishment. So, yeah. Oh, my God. I can't begin to count the number of times I've went chasing for a missing semicolon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Semicolons are the worst. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> so if you could go back in time and give yourself, your younger self, one piece of advice, what would mm-hmm. it be? Yeah. I'd, I'd want to tell myself that... Um, it's it's 
going to all work out. It's going to be fine uh, because, you know, it's it, it I guess at least in how I felt, um, I've, I've kind of been cautious of making mistakes. I've wanted to have things go right from the beginning. Uh, but I think it's great to make mistakes. I think it's great to fail. I think it's great to, you know, uh, not be able to do something the way you expected it to, because that's when you learn. I think in in those moments um, of failure is when you really understand what you can do better. And then when you bounce back and then when you continue performing, I think then that's a story we can talk about. Uh, So I tell myself to keep going and not be afraid of anything. All right, great. So now it's time for our break and we'll be right back with the splashdown. Awesome. Homecoming returns this year with a full week of in-person and virtual events. October West launches the week in Prescott, Arizona, starting September 30th, and the Homecoming Alumni Fly-In in Daytona Beach splashes down on the weekend of October 8th and 9th. We'll have five days of virtual events in between, including a virtual career expo for alumni from across the globe. You can expect everything you know of Embry-Riddle Homecoming, networking events, live entertainment, lab tours, and fun activities for Eagles and future Eagles of all ages. Visit alumni.erau.edu homecoming for a full schedule of events and register today. All right, Nishi, it's uh, time for our five splashdown questions. Are you I ready? I am. Let's do it. Uh, if you could fly any plane ever made to any destination, right, what would it be? Great question, but also very difficult one. <laughs> I love my 172. Yeah? I think, yeah, I think it's it's the only plane I need. Uh, <laughs> it, it helps me go from one place to another, um, hop on between airports, just refuel, and you're back up again. So I think I'm happy with yeah. it for now. <laughs> good, good. Keep right. it simple. Yeah. So what's a book that's been really important or influential for you? Yeah, so Zero to One by Peter Thiel uh, is a book that really stuck with me. And uh, I think also probably the time when I was reading it was around when I was graduating and um, thinking of starting something like Project Launchpad, you know, for the welfare of the student community. And I think that book really laid out very well on how you start from scratch, but really kind of take your vision forth and and then try to develop something that's um, with the eventual purpose of adding meaning to society. Um, So, and, and it also had some great topics about, I think, just how we can use technology to bring about change. Uh, so it talked about like artificial intelligence and um, how we're bringing, in, uh, bringing it in into, um, I think, real world applications. And should we be concerned about robots taking over the world or rather should we see it as uh, a tool that we can use to our advantage, um, you know, to kind of aid with the services or the products that we are providing. Yeah, so who's your favorite cartoon character? So have you uh, heard of the Powerpuff Girls? No, I have yeah. not. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, the Powerpuff Girls is a series that used to run on the Cartoon Network. Um, probably, I think around uh, 2000s, uh, the early part of um, the last decade. And yeah, there's a character, um, 
blossom <laughs> I really relate to it like she was like the leader and then she used to just like you know fly over to places and plan these missions out i thought it was really cool that's fun that's great yeah uh, so imagine that you can go to the olympics and compete in any mm-hmm. sport what do you choose I think um, table tennis would be great uh, because when I was back in high school, I was actually uh, on our school's team. I was representing our country at some point as well. Uh, so I, I, did, I did get to see uh, some of the players in action who are now representing, for instance, India at the Olympics. And yeah, that would be great to do that one day. Oh, man. It seems like you were close to having a completely different career. You could have been right? doing table tennis yeah, in Tokyo yeah. this year. I saw year. her play at Tokyo, and I literally thought to myself, I was like, my team was competing with her team, like, you know, so many years back. I know her. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. All right. Uh, so if you could live for a week as any person in history, who would it be? Sally Wright, for sure. <laughs> She's the first American woman to go to space. And yeah, if, if I could just lift that part where she went into space and you know saw our Earth for the first time, I think that would be great. Right on. Right on. All right. Well, thanks very much, Nishi, for uh, joining us for the Talent Talks podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Alan. I think it's been fantastic talking with you. And hope this adds value to people who are listening to it. Of course. All right. Thanks so much.